I thought, well, yeah, that's cool. You know, it's nice to have your old songs used on something. But of course, we didn't realize then that MTV would suddenly become one of the biggest things of that generation. We didn't want anyone too guitar-based refereeing two guitarists in the same band, so yes. uh, I was kind of the, the obvious choice, I suppose. I remember Richard Branson walking into our rehearsal room in Shepherd's Bush, and there were about six guys all behind him. You know, he was like the Pied Piper, and all these these people were kind of following him. Hello and welcome to episode 18 of Vintage Rock Pod, the podcast series that proudly claims that my music is better than yours. I'm Paul Stevenson. Thanks, as always, for hitting play. Now, on this week's episode, I speak to our first keyboard player. We've had plenty of vocalists, guitar players, bass players, and even a couple of drummers in Kenny Jones and Pick Withers. But today I speak to a man who effortlessly scored big hits in the pop, new wave, prog, and rock world. A multi-platinum-selling artist extraordinaire, former Buggles, yes, and Asia star Jeff Downs. His career has been incredible. Now, this week's top five song recommendations will all be for the band Asia, and that's coming up a little later, so you can get disagreeing with me on that one as well soon. Now, the latest stats of the show shows me that I've had listeners from 69 different countries around the world. It's mad, it really is. So a quick hello and thanks to everyone who's been in touch this week from everywhere across the globe. Hello to Vizar Bilali, messaging me from Albania. Johan in Sweden for sharing our Lee Aaron interview on his website, which is leearon.se. And Bexgoos in America too. Hello to My Rock and Roll Heaven for some good chat on Twitter around the top five Lee Aaron songs last week as well. We agreed on Diamond Baby and Metal Queen. And to Lisa Mitchell on YouTube for chatting about the Scorpions. She has meet and greet tickets to see them in Vegas. Lucky thing. And to everyone else who's liked, shared and commented on the many posts across social media this past week, it is much appreciated. Also, if you fancy coming on the show to share your love of classic rock, then another fan special is in the works for a few weeks' time. So get in touch and we'll see if we can sort something out. A quick shout out as well to make sure that you've signed up to become a VRP VIP. Get online quickly to vintagerockpod.com and sign up. There's a little form on there. It's completely free and you become one of our VRP VIPs. And it gives you the chance to find out first who's going to be on future episodes. Also gives you the chance to put your question to one of our guests as well. You can do that in advance. You can also win goodies and things like that that's coming up in the future. So get yourselves to vintagerockpod.com now and sign up straight away. Now, I've been speaking to a varied selection of guests recently just to kind of give us different angles on the on the classic rock world people like david bowie's former manager i've got alice cooper's guitarist and a member of a band who are probably remembered as a one-hit wonder from the late 70s remembered very fondly in australia still and i'm going to hear about his experiences as well so all that's coming up in future episodes i've also been compiling the next batch of songs for our vintage rock pod playlist every artist that i interview i ask them to recommend a song from their own back catalogue to include on this playlist that I've set up on Spotify. It's a completely unique playlist. Songs chosen by the artists themselves. You won't get that anywhere else at all. Go on to Spotify, look for Vintage Rock Pod Playlist, and you'll see the choices so far from people from Dire Straits, like I said, Scorpions, Susie Quattro, and all the other big-name guests that we've had on the show so far. Please give that playlist a follow, and I'll update it as we go along. So I'll be including some of our recent interviewee guest choices on the next Rock Fans special episode. And while we're on the Spotify topic, check out another playlist set up by Paul Graham in Scotland. It's called Vintage Rock Pod Top Fives. He updates this playlist every week, with my five song suggestions from that act so there's over about seven hours or so of great tunes on there already again just look it up on spotify and give it a follow thanks to paul for doing that right with no further ado then it's time for this week's guest and as i said earlier he's had an incredible career which we'll try and touch on the highlights of here in our interview 
with Jeff Downs. Now I'm delighted to say my next guest is the first person to be played on MTV, presented with the Order of Honor medal by the President of Armenia, and also got a Guinness Book of Records world record for the most keyboards played on stage in one performance. Oh, and that's without mentioning being part of some of the most iconic groups in history, the likes of Asia and Yes and the Buggles. He's a legendary keyboard wizard, and I'm delighted to say he joins me now on Vintage Rock Pod. A big welcome to Mr. Jeff Downs. Hi there, how are you doing? I'm good, thank you, Jeff. How's things with you? Yeah, not bad, you know, getting through it all. Um, looking forward to getting back out there again, you know, when they give us the green light. But, um, yeah, it's been an interesting year, that's for sure. Absolutely has, hasn't it? Uh, just mentioning there some of the things in the intro, I mean, you've moved effortlessly through pop, new wave, prog, rock. I mean, just listening to some of the things I mentioned, you've barely scratching the surface of what you've done in your career. It's been some career in life for you, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been great. You know, I hope it continues, but... Um, I was always brought up on music, so, it, you know, the fact that I've been able to uh, make a career out of it and uh, have some real high points, you know, some big records that I've been involved in, uh, some big bands, and as you mentioned, Jess and Asia uh, and the Buggles. So, yeah, it's been, uh, I've been quite, have quite a blessed career, I think. Absolutely, and you've got a brand new album out with the Downs Braid Association. It's called Halcyon Hymns, and we'll, we'll get to that very shortly. But as you mentioned there, music's been with you all the way through your life, and I suppose you were born to play the keys in, a, in one respect, weren't you? Because both your parents did, didn't they? Yeah, that's right. There was a lot of uh, piano music in my house, and um, uh, my dad being a church organist as well, that was, uh, you know, I was singing in choirs, and, um, you know, I was turning the pages for him in the church when he was playing the... <laughs> Bach to Carter and Fugue or whatever else we play. So yeah, it's um, it was always around me, and I think in my early teens I started getting into um, playing in bands, and that as a doubt took me in a different direction. I think from the, uh, I suppose from the classical upbringing that I had. And that made the move to London, didn't you? Trying to look for the fame and fortune, you got involved in jingles, and then like so many people at that time, you you answered an advert in, in Melody Maker magazine, and. That was the fortunate meeting with um, Trevor Horn. I mean, can you remember that first meeting with Trevor? Yeah, I can. It was actually a rehearsal room in Bermondsey in South London, and that was, um, mm-hmm. you know, used to see all the rehearsal rooms were all over the place, and recording studios, of course. But uh, uh, I remember turning up, and um, there, were, there must have been about another dozen keyboard players there uh, auditioning for this band that Trevor was putting together for the disco singer Tina Charles. And um, and Trevor gave me the job. Said, you know, I like the way you play, and uh, uh, and yeah, you've got the job. So that that really started our relationship. And um, and then when Tina stopped touring, uh, Trevor and I kind of continued working together. We were both doing uh, a lot of session work and that sort of stuff. So we pulled our resources and came up with the buggles and. Um, and that was it, really. The rest is history. <laughs> the rest is history, as they say. And you, as I said in the intro, you're the first person to be played on, on MTV. I mean, you probably get asked this a lot, but could you tell early on from in the recording sessions of that when you were coming together, putting Video Kill the Radio Star together, could you tell it was going to be a big hit? Um, I think we felt it was our strongest track by a long way. I mean, we certainly we'd done a pretty uh, comprehensive demo of it prior to taking it around the record labels. So... Uh, I think we both felt pretty strongly that you know, it had something, although it had all the gimmicks, you know, the, the wireless voice and all the rest of it and the, the girly bits. <laughs> but um, I think we felt the song was really strong. You know, it was a, a great, great song that uh, Bruce and Trevor had started off doing and um, uh, and then they brought me in. 
So yeah, it was uh, it, they were they were really good times, and, and to get that record deal with Ireland, of course, was a great thing for us uh, because we'd been turned down by most of the other record labels, and uh, and Ireland stepped up and gave us the gig. So it was <laughs> it was a, a really good start for us, and I think that uh, we spent a lot of time on Video Cool Radio Star, particularly out of all the other tracks we were doing for that album. And it became iconic, didn't it? It became the thing through MTV. It became like the symbol of MTV because it was the first song played. And, and the introduction is you with with your, your playing on the keyboard. It must have been special. must have been nice looking back. Yeah. My little hand, my little hand. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my little hand's going off. That was the, uh, was the beginning of it all. Yeah, I think that um, uh, we, didn't, we didn't really attach too much significance to it at the time because, of course, Video Killer mm-hmm. Radio Star had been out two years before that. So we'd, we'd already, we'd done the Buggles and then we'd, we'd been in Yes as well for that whole album in 1980. Uh, and, and by that time, you know, beginning of 81, I'd, uh, I'd teamed up with Steve Howe, John Wetton and Carl Palmer uh, in Asia. So in a very short period of time, I was in three pretty um, <laughs> comprehensive bands, you could say. And... Uh, when 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 it was announced that Video Killer the Radio Star was, um, you know, this new cable channel that was starting, in, I think mainly the New York area, uh, was starting up, uh, and you know it was airing the first first of August, nineteen eighty one. By that time, uh, we were about to go in the studio with Asia for the first album. So, mm-hmm. I, I didn't really attach a lot of significance to it. I thought, well, yeah, that's cool. You know, it's, um, you know, it's nice to have your old songs used on something. But of course, we didn't realise then that that uh, MTV would suddenly blossom and snowball all over America and become, you know, the, one of the biggest things for that generation. Absolutely. And you mentioned there. Let's go back to the middle band of the three that you spoke about. Yourself and Trevor moved from the Buggles into uh, Yes. Now, how was that replacing two big personalities as you did? Because you replaced Rick Wakeman and, and John Anderson, didn't you? The pair of you. So, how did you feel? doing that because that, that's too big pairs of shoes to fill yeah well, I, 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 we didn't see it so much as replacing we saw it more of a, a joining of a force so we were managed by the same company and, and Chris, Steve and Adam were working away in one rehearsal room we were working on another Buggles album uh, in another room and uh, and they kind of we crossed paths and they said you know, uh, you know if you guys I really like your album you guys got any good ideas you want to throw our way and um oh. And of course, we said, "Yeah, we've got a few things." So we went into their rehearsal room and started kicking things around. And, um, uh, and we just, in, in many ways, we just merged into, into. Yes, it wasn't like we were replacing the other two guys. It was more, more kind of a merging thing. But of course, it did become yes. And um, and when we came out, I think that there was quite a bit of reticence and reluctance by the fans, or some of the fans, the real diehards, particularly in Trevor's case, because. Uh, John Anderson had been the, you know, this figurehead, this mystical yeah. figurehead of Yes for all those years, and uh, they'd only ever had that one vocalist up front. Uh, so I think it was tough for Trevor. I, I wasn't so bad in my case because you know they'd already had Tony Kay, uh, Rick Wakeman twice, and uh, Patrick <laughs> Moraz all before me. Yeah. So uh, they, they were kind of used to the revolving door of keyboard players a little bit, but. Uh, I think it shocked a few people. I think people thought what they did with these pop guys coming in and, you know, merging with our uh, guys. Now, in terms of playing the keyboards in Yes, I mean, it's quite an iconic uh, role to play, isn't it, in a very iconic band? I mean, how did you find playing the, the 
those parts because some of them are really, really complex, aren't they? Especially some of the songs. Well, I think initially when we did the drama tour, we focused much more on the the, the, the Tony K period. So it was really the first three albums, um, or first mainly Time and Word and uh, and the Yes album, and of course the new album that we'd done drama. Uh, and there were a few things in the middle, but I never really got to the the nitty gritty until I rejoined them ten years ago, and that's when we started to do the the whole album series. And then I realised, you know, it's just pretty pretty tricky. Um, <laughs> certainly, when it got into things like uh, you know going for the one and some of the tracks on that, like Awaken, and uh, you know, and then going back and doing Close to the Edge. Uh, uh, the whole track and uh, going into the, the last tour we did, we, we, we looked onto Relayer, you know, which is a real, probably one of the most complex Yes albums yeah. ever. And Tetel Photographic as well, although the, the keyboard part's a bit more minimalistic on that. But, you know, we did uh, Gates of Delirium last time out, and that's, uh, you know, that's a whole... That's a whole bag of bananas, you know. That is a real, <laughs> that's a real technical nightmare. So, um, but yeah, you know, I've, I've enjoyed it. It's it's been a an interesting study into how these other guys made, you know, how, or how they all made these records together, and uh, you know what made what made Yes such a great band that they are. Absolutely. And then moving on to the next band that you mentioned, Asia. I mean, the success for, for Asia came really, really quickly, didn't it? I mean, take it back to the start, because I heard that R- Richard Branson was trying to sign you up to, to his label, wasn't he, originally? But you, you ended up going with Geffen. What was, what was the reason behind that? Well, I think originally John Kolodna, who was the A&R guy at Geffen Records, who was sort of well-known for uh, Foreigner when he was at Atlantic and places like that, and David Geffen brought him in as the main A&R guy yeah. for, for his... Uh, his new label and uh, I think he tried to put together a band funnily enough I think with uh, with Rick and with John Wetton and uh, uh, and, and uh, I think Carl Palmer as well so that that was going to be the foundation of that anyway that didn't happen so I think that was, must have been a year or two before uh, when um, when the idea was still sort of hovering around there and uh uh, we, we we finally put Asia together the way it ended up being. You know, we must, Steve brought me in and uh, Steve had been working with John Wett and then Carl Palmer came over. So it was, um, you know, th- that was the, the, the core of what we were working on at the time. And, and, of course, we were then looking for a record deal. And I think Geffen had uh, certainly maintained an interest, but at the same time, uh, Richard, I remember Richard Branson walking into our rehearsal room in Shepherd's Bush uh, and there were about <laughs> six guys all behind him, all from various departments at Virgin Records. And, you know, he was like the Pied Piper and all these these people were kind of following him. He was the head of publicity or whatever. And they came in and they, <laughs> they um, you know, they sat down and said, this is great, 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 great. And they made an offer for uh, for the band just for the UK. But but I think uh, we were much more interested in, in going global. Mm-hmm. And so... When, when Geffen came back in again and said, "Look, we want you guys for the world," uh, that was a whole new, a whole new ball game, and uh, so we went with Geffen in the end. Absolutely, and you talk about going for the world. You, you certainly did, and that first album was incredible. It went boom, especially over in America. It was number one for nine weeks, four times platinum, huge radio play for Heat of the Moment. It was just uh, incredible, wasn't it? It was. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't just Heat of the Moment as well. We, 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 you know, the other tracks we were four or five. 
of the album tracks were all over rock radio in America. So yeah. it was pretty much ubiquitous uh, across the States anyway. And um, uh, it, we, we had a tour booked, quite a small tour. I say small, it was a college so you were maybe about 20, 25 shows, something like that, in the, in the college towns, you know, because that was where the interest had started to build up. And, uh, and you know, by the time we'd, we'd started the tour, the album had just flown up the charts, and we were, I think when we started the tour, we were like number five in the charts, and the next week we were number one, and then we stayed down for the duration of that um, of that whole tour. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was a huge... Uh, leap up from, you know, where, where we put the album together at the studio in Shepherd's Bush and, um, in London. And uh, uh, it was great times. You know, I think that you can't predict what's going to happen. We didn't know that it was going to be as big as it was. But, you know, having said that, I think that we had a great, we had a great team. We had uh, a heavy commitment from the band. I think our songs, particularly that John Wett and I had written for the album, you know, were very powerful radio play songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Geffen because it, we were the first band side of the label. They were pulling out all the stops to get us played on this, that, and you know wherever. And and by that time, of course, MTV was uh, in full swing, and um, we, uh, we we seemed to be. Uh, the flavour of the year, as it were. <laughs> Absolutely, flavour of the year. And you lasted for three albums with Asia before you called it a day for the first time. And then you went on to do many different things, solo albums. You've you've obviously worked with, with Yes and Asia again since, and, and White and various other projects, too numerous to mention. But um, what I do want to ask you about is, is um, a short-lived collaboration um, where you worked with Steve Howe and Steve Hackett of Genesis, and you produced them for GTR. What were your memories of working with those guys together on that project? Well, that was interesting because after we'd finished the Astro album, which was the third Asia album, I would sort of thinking, well, the other guys, you know, the band had kind of gone in different ways at that point. You know, John was going off and doing some solo stuff. Uh, Carl was talking about maybe going back to ELP. Uh, so... We kind of fragmented, and my, my goal at the time was really to concentrate on record production. So I, I, I moved into that area and, uh, you know, I co-produced the third Asia album, and I was very keen to get involved more as a record producer. So uh, I'd seen how well Trevor Horn was doing. I thought, well, I can't have this. You know, I've got to try and, uh, you know, I've got to try and top <laughs> this. So I, uh, I got into... Um, putting my services out as a producer. And, of course, because my relationship with Steve Howe was very strong, uh, Steve recommended that I came in because he thought that, you know, we didn't want anyone too guitar-based uh, refereeing two guitarists in the same band. So <laughs> uh, I was kind of the, the obvious choice, I suppose. And uh, it, was, um, it was a great album to make. I think that, you know, b- both both Steve Howe and Steve Hackett are fabulous guitarists. They're They've, they've proved over the years that they're absolutely top of the tree. And uh, uh, it was great working with those two because they're, they're very different type of players. You know, they they uh, they don't have the same the same movement around the, the neck. You know, they, they, they're just different guys. And yeah. uh, to have that combination of those two players was really quite quite something. Excellent. Did you enjoy doing the production side of it all? You mentioned you would want to get more into the production role. You well, I did for a while. Many other yeah. big acts, didn't you? Thompson Twins and others. Yeah, Mark Oldfield and uh, quite a few other things. I, I did for a while and then I started to get 
uh, itchy feet to get back on the other side of the glass in the studio rather than being sat in front of the desk I wanted to be out there creating music and playing. <laughs> and uh, I think it's it's good for some people, you know, some people yeah. some people like the role of being in the, in the producer's chair. And, it, you know, as I say, it was it was good for a while, but I, I, I got itchy feet and I wanted to get back out playing live again and, uh, you know, doing doing creative stuff, writing and that sort of thing. As a producer, you've really got to be wearing two hats. You can't just uh, go home when you like or, you know, go out for a drink or whatever. You, you, it's a responsibility. You've got to, uh, <laughs> as, you know, I was off, I was like a referee, you know, that, the, uh, you know, you've got to be there first uh, in the morning and then, you know, you've got to be doing rough mixes late at night when everyone's gone off to the pub. So it's, it's a responsibility that uh, a lot of people don't, quite understand particularly in those days it's a bit different now because people work in much uh, more intimate environments you know either from their home or whatever yeah. and then the big thing was you know you you got up in the morning you went to the studio and you got on with it and uh and, and i think that you know that by if you judge by the lack of recording studios that are about now uh certainly in those days you know, every there was a, a recording studio in every street corner in london <laughs> but uh no, that's not the case anymore. Certainly not. And you talk about getting back behind the keyboards and playing again and writing stuff again. And, and your current project has been going maybe 10 years or so. I know you, you dip in between different Asia tours and Yes tours and things like that. But the, the Downs Braid Association, it's been going nearly 10 years. Chris Braid, who's Ivan Novello winner, he's worked with some big artists too, hasn't he? How, how did the, the, the collaboration between the two of you first start then? How did, that, how did you join forces? The, uh, the introduction came through Trevor because oh. uh, I'd started to work with Trevor again on, on some, some Buggles gigs. We, we, we always felt that, you know, we, we, we should have done some gigs. And so it was 30 years later, we thought, well, let's give it a whirl. And uh, we, did a, we did a couple of charity gigs at the time. And uh, Trevor was, had his own band called The Producers, uh, which was made up of... Uh, uh, Ash Stone, uh, Lol Cream, and uh, and Chris, and uh, we did this Buggles gig, uh, whereby we did the entire Buggles album, The Age of Plastic, and uh, uh, and Trev brought Chris in and said, "Look, we've got you know two keyboard players cover all the parts because obviously the Buggles was yeah. just you know I couldn't probably have done the Buggles as a one man keyboard show <laughs> because of the so many overdubs." Uh, so Chris came in and and uh, he. We got talking one day and he said, you know, uh, I just love all the things you did with the buggles. I just love all those crazy sounds and those, you know, the way that you yeah. perform the piano parts and everything like that. And so uh, he said, you know, if you want to do some writing one day, that'd be great. And uh, and uh, the f- he'd moved to L.A. and the following year, uh, I I was working in L.A. at the time, actually on the Yes album. And, um, uh, and Chris... Uh, said, you know, do you want to come over and do a bit of writing? So I went over to his place that he just moved into in LA and um, and we worked on the first album, Pictures of You. And that was very quick, it was very natural. You know, we liked the same things and, uh, and we wanted the other person to like it as well. So the, the writing relationships are very, uh, they're kind of very, very precariously balanced. You, know, you have to have that right understanding with somebody. And, uh, you know, I, I've been fortunate I've had that with, you know, with Trevor, with, with John Wett and with Greg Lake and, uh, you know, even with Glenn Hughes on a project that we did together. So I've always been lucky in the fact that I've managed to, you know, work with people that, you know, are sort of like a catalyst in a way. And um, 
Uh, and I felt that same thing with Chris that we had this uh, we had this great rapport where we wanted to please each other. So you know, if I played something or I gave him an idea, it was uh, something that he would say, you know, yeah, you know, I really like that. What about with this? And then you get this thing going, and it snowballs, and then we come up with a, a song and you know do that again. And uh, so it was it was great. And I think that. From that point on, we felt that that was a you know it was strong working together. Even though he was based over in LA and you know I was in the UK, we started this thing where we were exchanging files on the internet. It's become a very uh, common way of working, and uh, I think that you know Chris and I were doing this ten years ago. You know, so <laughs> when it comes to the latest album, it's not really that strange for us to do it the way that we did it. Well, that's interesting then, because I've spoke to a few different artists like. Pete Agnew from Nazareth, who said it was, he found it difficult being cooped up in the house and the creativity doesn't flow and things like that. So um, obviously you've worked th- with this sort of style before passing things around, and it's nice to see that it's worked really well because this new album, Halcyon yeah. Hymns, which has come out, it's it's a beautiful record. It's very polished. It has a warm feel to it. It's uplifting. It feels good. Which right now, what we're living through is perfect. Was that the kind of intention you set out with when you went to record the album or is that just the feeling that came when you, you began the writing process? Well, I think we, uh, you know, I had a lot of the ideas for it before it started, but uh, it, it, it sort of came, uh, it came into fruition really when it all started because I think that's when Chris was, not, not a, a loose end, he was still doing stuff, but uh, he thought it was, was a good time to look at those ideas that I sent him and so he started working on those and uh uh, and and tried to get, you know, an air of positivity out of it all. And I think he did a great job, you know, because although there's, you know, there's, there's elements of pathos in there and there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a, a bright prospect as well that comes out of it. And I think that, you know, that's something that we both felt and I think that was important for us to get across on this album. Absolutely. And it's out now. It's called Halcyon Hymns. Um, it's available now on Cherry Red Records and I'm guessing we can get that on, on the internet and everywhere we, we usually get our records. Yeah, we, we, it's coming out on vinyl next month. So, uh, uh, and, and that's a good thing because I think that Chris and I are big vinyl fans and, and to to be able to do an album as a whole, yeah. you know, rather than rather than just do a collection of songs. We saw this album as being, you know, almost like a sort of stream of consciousness thing. And, and particularly, I think that that comes across more with the, you know, the dialogue with Barney and the, you know, the poetry and, uh, you know, the, the, the big long track and then these sorts of little yeah. scenes, these little cameo snippets here and there. And of course, having the great musicians that we've got in there as well really uh, brought the whole thing up uh, uh, to a good level, I think. Absolutely. So, what's the next plans for you then? What are you going to be getting up to next? Well, we're still we're still toying with another Yes album. That's uh, sort of on the horizon. Uh, I think that we're we're again we've been doing quite a bit of uh, idea exchanging and uh, that sort of thing. Uh, so, I think that's probably going to be the next thing in the in the pipeline. But there's there's other things as well. I've uh, I've still got some. Um, some recordings I did with John Wetton, who sadly passed away, uh, as we know, four years ago. But there, there's still some some elements of that that I'd like to do at some point. Um, I've still got my solo career that, you know, I fish out from time to time and uh, uh, just tinker about with my keyboards in my studio and just have a, you know, have a creative moment and hope the big 
magical muse comes down and gives me some ideas. <laughs> Excellent. And the, the things you've got with John Wetton in, in, in the background, um, if, is it many songs you've got there or is it just a, a collection um, of demos you've got? There's probably about half a dozen because John was too sick really to uh, at the time to, to take them any further. But uh, I, I kind of, you know, deep down I, I know probably what he would, you know, the direction he would like them to go in. So, uh, so I, I've got those those elements, uh, they're, they're, they're there, and I, I really hope to get them, uh, you know, completed one day. But of course, you know, say the last four or five years has been pretty well solid on the road yeah. with, uh, with Yes particularly. We did a big tour, um, well, we've done a couple of big tours, uh, and of course we went out with Asia as well. So... Uh, it's been uh, a lot of road work for the last 10 years, but um, you know, the way it is at the moment, I think I'm going to have to uh, spend a bit more time uh, fishing around in the studio and see what I come up with. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you, Jeff. I really appreciate you taking the time. And, nice to talk to you too. And uh, I recommend everyone to go out there and get their hands on the lovely vinyl copy of Halcyon Hymns now. All right, see you, mate. Thanks, bye. So much more I wanted to talk to Jeff about, but time was against me. He literally has had a fantastic career and life. Now, if you're wondering, his Guinness Book of Records world record was achieved for playing the most keyboards on stage in one performance, 28 of them. He also received the Order of Honour Medal by the Armenian President, the highest honour a foreign citizen can receive, and that was for his part in raising vital funds for Rock Aid Armenia. He was honoured along with the likes of Brian May and David Gilmore and Tony Iommi and Ian Gillen. Not bad company to keep at all. He's also worked with a really diverse range of acts like Thompson Twins, Kate Bush, Greg Lake and Ignitha from ABBA. Now his current work, which we talked about earlier with the Downs Braid Association, with Chris Braid is great too. Now Chris Braid, if you're unaware, as well as being a great singer, musician and all that sort of stuff, he's a big time record producer. Now he's worked with classic acts like Glenn Tilbrook and Mark Armand, but with many of today's biggest stars thrown in there as well, like Beyonce, Sia, David Guetta, Nicki Minaj, Britney Spears, Oli Mers, and many, many more to mention. So like I said, it's well worth checking out that new Downs Braid Association album. It's called Halcyon Hymns, and it's available to listen to now, or you can get it on vinyl when it's released, as Jeff said. Right, time to run you through my five song suggestions now for the band Asia. Now, Asia were a real supergroup of high merit. You're talking Jeff, of course, who'd been in the Buggles and Yes by this point, drummer Carl Palmer of Emerson, Lake and Palmer, guitarist Steve Howe from Yes, and singer and bass player John Wetton from King Crimson. Now, their self-titled debut album came out in 1982 and charted worldwide. Massively successful in the US, as you heard Jeff say. Enormous radio play. The album topped the Billboard album charts for nine weeks, went on to sell nearly five million copies, and was the biggest-selling album of that year in America. Four times platinum there. It went three times platinum in Canada, platinum in Japan, and was certified gold in the UK, Switzerland, and France. It really was huge. The classic lineup returned a year later with the album Alpha, which didn't achieve the same success but still went platinum and actually charted higher in the UK than the debut album did. There was a lineup change for the third album Astra which didn't fare well at all. They have released many albums in the intervening years so there's a wealth of material to choose from but I'll be honest my favourite five Asia tracks are all from those early albums. So here we go. The Vintage Rock Pod Top 5 Songs from the band Asia. At five is a track from the debut album, the third single released in the US, hit number 10 on the Billboard mainstream rock charts, one of the harder tracks on the album. At five is Soul Survivor. At four is the lead single from the debut album, perhaps their signature song. It was everywhere in 1982, written by Wetton and Downs. It was a huge single with massive radio play. At four 
is Heat of the Moment. At three for me is a track that doesn't get as much attention as some others. It's from the second album, Alpha, closes side one, in fact. I don't think it was a single, but it's great. Soaring choruses, rocks hard and again was written by Wetton and Downs. The track at number three for me is The Heat Goes On. At number two is another from the debut album, another big hit, in fact. It opens with a signature Jeff Downs keyboard riff. At number two is Only Time Will Tell. And at number one is a rockier number, the lead single from the third album, Astra. I just love how it packs a real punch. Although the rest of the album doesn't live up to this, this is and remains my favourite personal song of theirs. So the number one Asia track, according to Vintage Rock Pod, is the rousing Go. As always, let me know your thoughts on that top five list. I do love to hear from you and your personal lists. We had some good chat on the big country top five a few weeks ago. Plenty of suggestions on Facebook recently for the top five Scorpion songs too. So don't be shy. Let me know in all the usual ways. Social media, just search for Vintage Rock Pod or you can email me vintagerockpod at gmail.com. And that's it for episode 18. Then if it's the first time you've listened, please do go back and check out all the great interviews in the previous weeks. We've had some big, big names interviewed over the series. Please subscribe and follow the podcast on whatever platform you listen to your podcasts on. And leave me a nice five-star rating too, a little review as well, as it all helps with the ranking and visibility. And it's free. Go and give us a like or a follow on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube. You can see some of the interviews on YouTube and the quizzes and top five lists and all that sort of stuff you can see on there as well. Don't forget, sign up to become a VRP VIP vintagerockpod.com tell your friends family neighbours colleagues anyone really just to get listening and join in the fun until episode 19 then remember if you come across anyone who isn't a fan of rock just tell them my music is better than yours take care It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.